You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. We are going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, And when I say the book of Ephesians, I actually mean the whole book. Uh, So... When we're done here, we'll have dinner outside. Okay. So uh, if, you, uh, if you are just kind of stepping in this morning, um, if this is your first time with us or you haven't been uh, here with us in a little while, uh, let me just kind of fill you in on why this Sunday is a little bit unusual for us. Um, this is my last Sunday to be on staff, on the pastoral staff at Genesis. Um, we, we normally say that Jesus planted this church, really believe that, um, and that he just kind of told me first. So uh, uh, I was used by the Lord in the beginning to gather a group of people together and, uh, and start seeking him and seeking to be useful to him. Uh, and we called it Genesis. And uh, so that was seven years ago, uh, going on eight years. And um, uh, last year, uh, my wife and I believe that we discerned a call from the Lord to uh, kind of pack everything up and move among unreached people, people who have never heard the gospel, have no access to the gospel, and where there's very little or no work uh, being done as of yet to reach these people, uh, it, it became something that the Lord put in our hearts to go and, uh, and live there, and that became Thailand for us. So um, we've begun a long process over, uh, well, starting last November of working with the leadership, and then in January, uh, announcing to the church what the Lord is doing. And, uh, and so it's, uh, it's been that long since we've all been walking together knowing that we were going to come to this Sunday where I wasn't going to be on the pastoral staff anymore uh, as a means of transition towards Thailand, something that just needed to happen at some point. And, uh, and so this is the, the last Sunday that I'll be in this uh, full-time pastoral role of preaching and teaching. Um, the church has already hired a really faithful guy, Hans, who you know now if you've been around. Uh, you know Hans and his wife Courtney and their kids. And uh, Hans is going to be filling the role that I've been filling here on the pastoral staff of the, the kind of preaching pastor, regular preacher, uh, filling the pulpit. And uh, he's already begun to transition into that as I'm transitioning out. And, uh, and the more I get to know Hans, the more time we spend together, which is hours and hours every week, uh, the more I just love him and appreciate him and respect him. And, uh, and so I'm looking forward to sitting under his teaching as a member of the church over the next several months. Uh, I'll still be on the elder team for at least a, a season as we're still in the process of installing three more uh, elders, four if you include Hans in that. Uh, so I, I want to see that through. I feel like that's the right thing to do. Uh, there's no hurry. Uh, but once that is complete, then I think the Lord is telling me to roll off of the elder team as well and just be a member of this church with you all 
and, uh, and a part of what the Lord's doing through all of you. So uh, it, it looks like January now, it was August, was our plan uh, to actually be living in Thailand. Uh, but there were some trials and things that we needed to go through, including my wife getting really sick for several months. Um, and, and the Lord's brought her through a lot of that and we learned a lot. Uh, and, and now January is the new kind of target date for when we're hoping to uh, all be in Thailand together as a family and join the team there. Uh, so that's, that's the picture of kind of where we've been over the last year, uh, where we're headed through the rest of this year, and why this Sunday is a bit unique. Uh, so it's not like I'm, uh, when I was imagining this Sunday and trying to prepare for it, um, there was a, a couple of different ways it felt. In one way, it felt like I was giving my own eulogy uh, to stand in front of you. Uh, just, I don't know, it just felt kind of like, I don't know. And then there was, then I was like, well, that's, gosh, that's weird. Uh, it's more like saying goodbye, but then it's like, well, I'm not even saying goodbye, I'm, I'm here. I'm here with you all. Uh, I'm, I'm, my family's not going anywhere right now. I'm actually really excited about this transition time uh, where we're going to be here. Uh, so uh, I also, though, even though it's not like a funeral or it's not like a farewell, um, it is unique. And uh, it, if you know me at all or you've been a part of this church for very long, then you know that sometimes I am painfully honest from up here. <laughs> and here's, let me share something with you. There is a uh, there's a great temptation in moments like this for, for people, leaders especially, and if they've been in, in some position of influence for a time, there's a great temptation to make a, a, a moment about yourself, even subconsciously. Uh, like, I, like I would never say, this morning is really about me and this is my last time and all that kind of stuff. And, and of course, that's disgusting. And then attached to that idea is like, man, really want to go out with a bang. You know what I mean? Preach my best sermon ever or something like that. And I never had those thoughts. But as I was thinking about preparing to stand here in this pulpit and speak to you on my last Sunday as preaching pastor in this church, uh, I confess to you that it felt like bigger than normal somehow. And, and I'm confessing to you also right now that this is not bigger than normal. It's not bigger than normal. Because what we gather here to do every single Sunday morning is exalt and worship and come to know in a deeper way the God of the universe. That's not small. That's not like some small routine ritual thing that we do. It's a part of our Sunday. That is an enormous thing that we come together to do. And, and me finishing my tenure as staff on the pastoral team here does not make this morning bigger but it does put me in a position where I'm more aware of these things and, and there's, there's so much in my heart for you. And I realized at a point 
that there's no way I could say all of it to you in the two hours that the guys gave me. I'm just kidding. There's no way I could say it all to you. Everything that is in my heart for you and for myself and my family. But scripture does an amazing job of saying it all. And we've always believed that what the scriptures teach are enough for us. Because they say so, and because they're God's word to us. So we believe, as we have always believed, that the scriptures are enough. But this morning, not to just make some petty point or something like that, uh, or switch things up or, or whatever, but because we really believe it, here's what I want to do. Um, I, I want to read Ephesians with you. Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to the believers in Ephesus, and Paul had had a a sort of parting of ways with these people that were very dear to him. He loved them very much. In fact, when he said goodbye, uh, you can go back to Acts and read it. When he said goodbye, he said, I I realize I'm not going to see you again, which again, I'm not dying or leaving yet, um, at least that I know of. Uh, See how the rest of the sermon goes. Uh, but there was, a, there was a sort of parting away of ways, a moment that he had with these people that he loved very much and they loved him and I realized you do love me and I do love you and this is a moment. And, and so I thought, well, if anybody had his heart filled with things he would want to say to people that he was having kind of a, a, a moment of goodbye or a moment of transition with, it would be Paul towards the Ephesians and and he does, in fact, say what I would want to say to you. So I want to invite you to do something unusual with me, which is uh, this. I would like to read this out loud with you, if you would follow along with me. And uh, I may stop at some points, uh, stop reading, that is. And I want to not only invite you to just read this with me, but to exult in it together, to worship God for what he says in his word. Um, and then we'll, we'll read some more and then, and then we'll stop and we'll just worship and we'll pray. Um, so let's do this together just in worship of God. Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I can just stop for a moment here, Paul is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to people who are faithful in Christ Jesus, that is they have faith in Jesus, that his death on the cross for them paid their sin debt and his righteousness given to them as a gift cleanses them and qualifies them for fellowship with a holy God for eternity. Not by anything that they had done to become good enough for God, but clearly and only as an act of grace towards people who were stuck in sin. So, Christians, this was written to. Now, if you are a person this morning who is not sure you're a Christian, knows you're not a Christian, is decidedly against Christianity, and somehow you just wandered in here, 
There's a lot for you to hear also, and there's a call to believe it and turn to Christ. So let's continue to read. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is, in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, that is the gospel, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Christ was there in the beginning when all things were made and he watched all things be broken and fall into sin and disrepair and rebellion against its creator. But there was a plan before any of it happened that in Christ, things would all be remade. Things would all find their intended purpose in him and through him. This plan was set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And if you're paying attention to what Paul just said to these Christians, they will be united in Christ. In love, God did this for us. And he did it, verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. Our friend John Piper says he believes that's the highest verse in the Bible. The highest verse in the Bible. Here's why he says that and why I agree with him. Because this is the intended purpose of all that exists the praise of his grace. He is glorious in his graciousness. He's done things that no human being has the right to even ask him to do, and he's done it without being asked. Offered his own son as a sin sacrifice in our place so that we could be reconciled to him, and he did it in love. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, so not just saved from the penalty of our sins, but also given an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You notice there's no qualifying statement there from Paul. All things worked by God to accomplish his will. He is an absolute sovereign control. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, that is, those first disciples, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glorious grace, 
to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of God's glory, we exist and we're in Christ and we'll live forever with him that his glory would be known and savored and enjoyed. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that you may know. That's why we're gathered here, that we may know to the praise of his glory. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? I know that a Tuesday at 11 o'clock in the morning doesn't feel like that all the time. But if you're in Christ, there is immeasurably great power from God working in you. Now listen how he describes this power. What power? Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. That's the power. The immeasurably great power that he is working toward you who believe. Your life is not just a job and a family and some hobbies and some church services and some things to fill the time until the scary moment when this time completes. All of our life is about the praise of his glory. And he is working with immeasurably great power in you. The same power that he worked in Christ's dead body when he raised him from the grave. That same power is working in you to the praise of his glorious grace. Please don't live another day like it's just another day. But who is this Christ? This Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here's who he is. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is all in all. He is above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Jesus is not just your buddy. He's not just there for you. 
He is the ruler of the universe. And you're in him, and you're his body, and he's working through you to the praise of his glory. Chapter two, a little bit more detail about how all this was accomplished, right? Because where did we start? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, who is Satan, by the way, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let me just give a little bit of exegesis here. You and I, all of us, every person who's ever been born was born dead in trespasses and sins, in rebellion against the God who created us and loved us. Not as these neutral entities waiting for God to come and enlighten us. Enemies of the cross, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, Satan, inspiring sin and rebellion in the world, we all at one time were dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse three, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, slaves to sin, not neutral, slaves carrying out the desires of the body and the mind by nature, children of wrath, that is by nature, by nature of who we are apart from the grace of God. Every single one of us is under the wrath of God against our sin. But God. Come on. But this God, being rich in mercy, rich with it, wealthy with mercy, filled with its storehouses, loaded, piled high with mercy. Mercy for who? Because of the great love with which, with which he loved us. When we came to him, repentant, no. When we realized our great need, no. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were following Satan, even when we were following the course of the world, slaves to our sinful desires, even then, God, God intervened, filled with mercy, filled with love for us made us alive together with Christ. He says together with Christ because he wants you to know in the same way that Christ was dead and then Christ was not dead, you were dead and now you're not dead. You're alive together with Christ, raised from death, made alive in him. By grace you have been saved. and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That statement always is kind of 
gloriously contradictory to me because I know I'm standing here looking at you, but the Bible's telling me I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places. It's because it is so completely, authoritatively accomplished by him, it's as if we're seated in his lap in heaven right now. It's a place of security that we reside in Christ. So that in the coming ages he might show, here's this word again, the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why are we in Christ in the world? Why has he saved us? Why has he placed us in Christ? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. That the gospel would always be gloriously proclaimed through us for eternity. That we would just revel in it, enjoy it, worship him for it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We cannot earn our salvation, it's a gift of God, a gift of his grace, his glorious grace. Therefore, because of all this, because God is so rich in mercy, because he loves us, because he's lavished the riches of his grace upon us, and and while wisdom and insight made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, what is called the circumcision, that is Jews are calling Gentiles dirty. Circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Remember. Remember. He wants you to remember. At one time, you were separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember, remember that every day. Remember that at one time you were far off, alienated, strangers, not citizens, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not by your parents, Not by some pastor, not by your favorite podcast, by the blood of Christ. Not by your own doing, not by any work that you did, not by your own sensibility or logic, by the blood of Christ brought near. 
for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that is, the law, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. When Christ died on the cross, he killed hostility between believers, so that there is now no dividing wall between us. We are unified as one body in him, so let's please not spend our days rebuilding walls that Christ has torn down by his death on the cross. To be unified is to worship Christ. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, that is the Jews who had heard before but didn't know the gospel. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Everything must take the form, the line, the direction of Christ. He sets the pattern. We follow the pattern. If it doesn't look like Christ, it doesn't belong to Christ. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, Though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the complete wisdom of God, all of it, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, that is, every being in heaven and on earth might understand the truth of the gospel. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, something that he has done in Christ, revealing himself, revealing his plan, revealing his gospel through Christ in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. 
our suffering reveals the genuineness of our faith and the sufficiency of our Christ. We can't lose heart. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I'm going to read that again because it's another one of these things that is just in my heart for you and I think in the heart of God for you. That according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Not your own power, not your own resolve. grant you to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge to know what cannot be known, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you just for a moment with me enjoy the massive, unsearchable, mysterious truth of that statement? And just enjoy the fact that it is too big for us. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, can I go back to that Tuesday at 11 a.m.? On a Tuesday? Filled with all the fullness of God? First of all, what does it even mean? What does it even mean? Are we like Moses coming down the mountain, just glowing, radiating with the glory of God? People covering their faces Tuesday at 11, hiding in their cubicles from us? To be filled with the fullness of God, with all of his joy, with all of his peace, with all of his resolve to glorify his name, with all of his love, all of his grace, all of his desire for holiness, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, yes, like all of that, everything you just said, all of that is far more than we could even think to ask for. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, this immeasurably great power that raised Christ from the dead, that power, according to that power, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Say it with me, amen in this church, in all the church, to God be glory for all generations. 
Let it be so. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, to follow Christ wholeheartedly, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, inescapable. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a coast of captives and gave gifts to men, gifts from his spirit in the church that we might build one another up in unity to the praise of his glory. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth, he came here. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's another one of those immeasurably great understandable statements. How is it that we can be filled to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? And that that would happen through our ministry to one another, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do you think coming to church is just you coming to church? This is about people being mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And God's going to work through you to accomplish that in their lives and work through them to accomplish that in your life. Being in church together is not just standing in proximity to one another, staring in the same direction. This is about the Spirit of God filling us to become more like Christ, to exalt Him and enjoy Him to the praise of His glorious grace. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Man, we know they're out there. They're on TV. They're all over the internet. They're filling so many of our churches. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If we aren't dedicated to ministering to one another in the power of the Spirit, we'll be susceptible to these cunning schemes, false gospels that discourage us and tear at our unity. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. He says, listen up, in other words. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, that is the unbelieving people, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't know the gospel. Therefore, their hearts are darkened due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. You learned a holy Christ, a loving Christ, a self-sacrificing, gracious Christ, a Christ filled with power from God on high and yet was willing to limit himself for the sake of sinners. That's the Christ you learned. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a throwing off of the old self and a putting on of the new self, which is Christ-likeness true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We cannot be separated from each other. We are eternally bound to one another. In an age when it's so easy to escape from one group of Christians to another, right? I feel hurt, I feel confused, my expectations are unmet. The Bible here is calling us to be filled with power from the Holy Spirit to exalt Christ and image him to the praise of his glory together. And it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to do that together because we are not all completely mature in Christ. In fact, none of us are complete. So it's gonna be hard. But the call is unity. Putting away falsehood, speaking the truth, members, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it quickly, church. And give no opportunity to the devil. Don't stew in bitterness. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How about that for a standard of our speech in the church? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, You've been taught these things. Don't be in the habit of violating the desire of the Spirit in you. 
to speak grace, to live in and inspire unity through faith in Christ. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by violating his desire. Submit to his desire. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. There'll be such a need. There has been and there is and there will be a deep, continuous need for us to forgive one another. How do we forgive one another? How is that characterized? What's the flavor? What's the tone of our forgiveness? Begrudging? Well, when they come to me, no. As God in Christ forgave you, which was like this, right? Dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the war, the world, the prince of the power of the air, who's now at work in the sons of disobedience, slaves to sin. God came to us and forgave us, sacrificing his own son, what's most precious to him. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If I can just take a second as a side note, there's a vein of Christianity and particularly those who call themselves reformed where the word nice has become a byword. The word nice has become some kind of silly idea that Christians are not supposed to be nice, they're supposed to be truth tellers. What is nice? In the most redeemed biblical sense, is it not to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us? It's the apex of nice. It's so much more than nice, yes, but isn't it at least nice? Isn't it at least nice? Let's not be those people who just tell it like it is. Let's tell it like it is in love. Redemptively, tenderheartedly, as God in Christ spoke to us. Therefore, he says that a lot, doesn't he? Just keeps building and building and building. God is who he is, and he is who he is toward you, and he is that in Christ, and Christ is glorious in giving himself to you out of love and mercy and grace, and Christ is the body, and you are members of his body, members one of another. You can't do this without each other, and the spirit of Christ is working in you, a spirit of unity, a bond of peace, and we're all to be laboring together in the power of that spirit to build one another up, to live this new life, this life that glorifies God, not the old self, but the new self. Put it on. Put away falsehood. Desire each other's good. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, therefore, it's about to reach the mountaintop here. Therefore, be imitators of God. In American culture, imitation 
is seen as just some kind of pathetic form of flattery, right? Imitation is copping out. Imitation is unoriginal. It's uncreative. If it's, didn't, if it's been done before, then it's not worth doing again. That's the kind of American ideal of ingenuity, isn't it? Be the next great thing. There's no greater thing than God. You can't do better than God. You can't go higher than God, reach higher than God. Reach for the stars, God's beyond them. He knows them all by name. They're as nothing to him. He can snuff them out. He can spark them back. Don't just reach for some high lofty goal. Be an imitator of the greatest. Be imitators of God. As beloved children, like a child looking up to their father, I want to be like dad. I want to be like dad. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this call of imitating God then takes the form of dying on a cross. Dying on a cross. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to kill what is about me. And I'm going to inspire and exalt and glory in what is about God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Not only should it not be common practice, it shouldn't even be whispered among us. We should avoid even a rumor of it. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, that is valuing something above God, to be discontent with what God's given them and feeling the need for something more than him. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's an alarming statement those who are without repentance and faith, those who have not put off the old self and the new self which has been given to them in Christ. They have no inheritance. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, that is, human sinners. Therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. It reflects the light that's shining on it. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then, 
how you walk, church. Look carefully. Does it align with Christ? Is it in keeping with the truth of the gospel? Is it worthy of the calling that you've received? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That statement in verse 16 has been crushing me lately. Make the best use of the time. The best use of every millisecond is the praise of his glorious grace. To live like that's true. And I fail with whole days, let alone the seconds. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We have not yet reached this point of of just absolute enjoyment in our togetherness in Christ that we are addressing one another with psalms and singing to each other spiritual hymns, brother, just like breaking out in a song toward him. I don't even know how that would go. It sounds awesome, but it also sounds like it probably happened in the 60s more than the 50s. singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, not as if they are Lord, but as an act of submission to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands... Another thing that's just in my heart for you, that you husbands would love your wives like Christ loved the church, like this, that he died for her, that he laid his life down for her, that he was subjected willingly to mockery and abuse, shame and pain, that she might be delivered. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Value her, prize her. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Your marriage is not about you, it's about preaching the gospel. 
It's about Christ and the church. Preaching the gospel to one another, preaching the gospel to your church, preaching the gospel to the world. That there should be something so filled with love and grace and tenderheartedness that the world around you would go, what makes that happen? And you would say, the gospel. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Children, some of y'all are in here. Obey your parents in the Lord. That is, obey your parents because the Lord wants you to. He says that's good for you. He's teaching you through it. Your parents aren't going to be perfect like God is perfect, but they love you and it's their job to teach you and lead you. Obey them. The Lord says that's good for you. Honor your father and your mother. Be respectful towards them, he says. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. The Lord rewards children who respect and obey their parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Take up that calling with seriousness, with devotion. Don't let a day go by that you're not preaching the gospel to your children's hearts. Bond servants, slaves, he speaks to here. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Now the point here isn't how a slave should behave because Paul also says that enslavers are immoral people who do not belong to God. There's no endorsement of slavery here. The real thing that's happening is speaking about how we honor God even when we're in the position of lowliness and the position of submission. That we always honor God from the heart working as his bondservants, slaves of him who loves us. Masters, do the same to them, which when that happens, the human institution of slavery is completely abolished in every place, right? When slaves realize that their hearts belong to God and they serve him wholeheartedly and masters do the same to them, slavery is abolished. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is, the, is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. The big takeaway there, none of us is a master. None of us is a slave to any man. We all belong to God. Our hearts, our bodies, our souls, our destinies, all belong to God. Let us turn to him and serve him wholeheartedly. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord 
if I can speak to you kind of self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-empowering people. Those of you who just feel like you've got it. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong, but not in yourself. You'll regret that. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and they're there. Brothers, sisters, Satan hates God and he hates you and he is scheming and he's working, he's watching. Peter says he's prowling and he would devour if he could. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, this dark place that is broken and full of sin and evil. We're here for now. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is Christ's gifted to you. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the gospel sends us out our doors. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Your faith in Christ will protect you from any spiritual attack. You cannot be destroyed when you're trusting in Christ. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. Peace to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray together. God, you are glorious. and we don't deserve you. 
We thank you, God, that you are rich in mercy, that you're full of love, that before time began, you had a plan to redeem us, sinners, children of your wrath, and that at the right time, you sent Christ to die in our place for our sins. That all of your wrath against our sin was poured out on him. And that when we trust in him, just trust in him, all of his righteousness is given to us as a gift. so that we who were in darkness would be in light, so that we who were stuck in sin would be free, so that the eyes and the ears of our hearts might be enlightened to comprehend altogether what is the breadth and the height and the length and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Even us, scoundrels, misfits, rebels, that we could be brought near by the blood of Christ and called to this life, living this life together in unity, in the spirit, the same immeasurably great power that raised Christ from the dead, working in us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would build one another up, so that we would speak the truth in love with tender hearts, forgiving, bearing with one another. that we would labor together, that we would fight evil, that we would do good, that you would be heard of, seen, called upon, trusted in, glorified. us to know you, to trust you, to follow you in such a way that we would be impervious to the attacks of evil, that we would stand firm in faith, that we'd be ambassadors, messengers of the gospel to one another and to the world. Lord, the highest prayer that we could pray, we pray it now. That every moment of our lives would be to the praise of your glorious grace. We praise you. Help us to praise you as you deserve, as you're worthy of. 
love you, God. We thank you for all these things, for your word, for your spirit, for your son, for your church. Thank you. Help us to live lives worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen.